Rest the bowls. Good morning. Um, I got to share this with a group of you guys Monday night, but I actually brought, this is Lainey. She's our oldest. And uh, will you welcome Lainey? I told her if she did this, she would never fear a class presentation ever again. <laughs> so about six months ago, it was about six months ago, Lainey and her friends learned a new dance move, and it's called the floss, okay? And I'm going to have Lainey give a demonstration of it real quick for us. Okay, I saw that, and yeah, nice job, nice job, all right. I saw that, and I was struck by the simplicity, but also just how cool it looked. And I went, if I could learn that, I would be the coolest dad wherever dads gather, okay? And so I went to Lainey, and I said, will you teach me? And how did that go? It went bad. Yes, it went bad. It went terrible. And so we worked on this, sometimes daily, sometimes weekly. Couldn't get it. And, and I, I just went, there is something that the children they get about this that, that adults can't. Because as I asked around, uh, my friends, nobody could do it. And, and so I went back and I said, Lainey, you got to show me. And she finally got frustrated. And she said, I'm done with you. You can't be worked with. You can't be taught. And so I even went to members of our dance ministry and I said, please teach me, show me. And um, they gave up on me as well. And I, I just went, why is there, there's something about this move that the children get that the, that the adults can't get. And so finally, as I shared with this group on Monday night, um, I went to where I should have gone in the first place. I very literally, I kid you not, I, I, I asked Jesus to give me the ability to do this dance move. And uh, it's been like three months of asking, no joke, and Lainey and my whole family will, will testify to this. This last Monday morning, I woke up and I went, oh my gosh, I just get it. I can understand. Look what happened. Look at this. Come on. See, we're bonding right now. Lainey, we're bonding. I might even just preach like this the entire, no, I won't. My hips hurt already. So, Lainey, thank you. Will you thank Lainey for coming up here? Well, if I could camp out this morning on something, I want to camp out on that idea that kept running through my mind over these last six months as I tried to learn the floss dance, okay? And it was simply this. There is something that the children get that the adults have a hard time with. There's something the children get that the adults have a difficult time with. And as we've been walking through Mark, um, I, th I think the Lord showed me something. He illuminated some themes there in Mark. One of those is children. Children are prevalent in the book of Mark and throughout the Gospels. But one day, one day, this is in Mark chapter 10 where we'll be this morning. One day, some people were bringing children to Jesus. And Jesus, uh, his disciples actually started rebuking the people for bringing children to to Jesus because children in that culture were not seen as very important. And so the disciples went, oh, why, why are you bugging Jesus with children, with what is oftentimes considered the last of these because they couldn't do much and they had to depend on everybody for everything? Why are you bringing the children to Jesus? And Jesus saw this. And Mark chapter 10 says he became indignant. He got upset with his disciples over this. And he said, do not hinder the little ones from coming to me. 
And then he says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God will never enter it. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You know what Jesus was saying? There's something the children get that the adults, well, we just have a difficult time with. We have a hard, hard time with it. And what happens right after this encounter with this conversation with a young man, I believe highlights exactly what it is that's so difficult for us as adults. And it also points us to where we need to go for answers for it. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 17. And if not, it'll be up on the screen. But right after Jesus has said, look, there's, there's really something the children get that, that the adults don't. Look at what happens. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I, and look at this next word, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that where we live, that word do? I mean, especially if you've been in church um, for, for a significant period of time, we know that eternal life is what? It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a free gift that God gives us. And yet, we ask this question a lot. What must I do? Because a lot of times, if I'm honest, I think that God is really, really concerned with what I'm doing in terms of giving me eternal life. Nathan, if, if you'll just do, or if you'll just not do, then you'll have that gift. Well, Jesus continues. Verse 18. Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, it's easy to take this and think Jesus is saying that not even he is good. But there's this theme throughout Mark. It's called the, the Messianic secret, where Jesus, he's going to reveal that he's God, but it's not time yet. This is why when you see in these different encounters, he says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. It's not time yet. But Jesus, the other part of what he says is what I want to drill down on. Why? What are your reasons for calling me good? And for this young man, his reasons for thinking of Jesus as good have a lot to do with what we think makes us good, what we do. And so Jesus, being Jesus and being God and knowing hearts, he follows up with a statement. He says, verse 19, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud and honor your father and mother. Well, that sounds like a list of do and do not, doesn't it? And you can, you can just see the young man, the wheels, are, the wheels are turning. And as each of these is listed, he's going, check, 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 got that. And look what he says. Verse 20, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, I go back through that list and I go, okay, some of those you probably didn't even have to think about. It'd be like if somebody asked us how to do something and step one was, well, you breathe. Right, got that. Okay, and then let some blood circulate through your body. Okay, got that. And maybe a couple of these, a couple of these were difficult for him. And then I want you to pay attention to this next phrase, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And on the heels of that, look at the statement. One thing 
you lack. He said, now if I could just camp out there for a minute. I know, and I've had conversations just this week with people in here who are so, you're so aware of what you lack. And we're so aware of what we lack and what we can do or not do. And you know what most people, I think myself included, we walk around thinking that God is somehow disappointed in us. That somehow we haven't measured up. But then you've got to explain this verse. You know how Jesus looks at you when he sees what you lack? He looks at you and loves you. And it's out of that love that he says what he says next. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This is so interesting to me because for all of our focus and all of our revolving around what I can do and what I can't do, you know what Jesus says? Before, before all you're doing, you know what I really want? I want your devotion. Before you're doing, before yesterday's doing, you know what I want? I want today's devotion. It is a very popular thing for people who, who are writers, especially who post articles on the internet. Um, I've noticed a number of them have tried this experiment where they, they take some time off of being on the internet. And so they'll, they'll go dark in their words um, for a period of time, whether it's three months or six months or a year. And I was reading, I was reading the reflections of some, of some of these guys who have taken this, this break um, for an extended period of time. And it's so interesting to me that the, the common thread for all of them is they thought that the very act of disconnecting from the internet was going to be the fix for them. That if I could just get off the internet then I'd get my head straight, I'd get focused, I'd be more productive, whatever it is. And yet when you read their reflections, I read a few this week. One of them said that I thought, I thought the internet was the source of my problem. Now, after three months off, I realize I'm the source of my problem. And this is what Jesus was getting at with, the rich, with this rich young man. He said, look, it's, it's not what you do. It's not the external stuff that's your problem. It's the heart within you. Before I want your external doing, I want your internal devotion. Another blogger reflected on it this way. They said, when I finally, finally got offline, I really just discovered I had more time to find new, new vices offline. Another one, a year after taking a break from the internet, he was typing his first blog post after a year off. And he said, it was in the middle of typing that blog post that I wanted to get out by midnight that my wife came up to me and she said, look, we, we really appreciate that you've been present with us this last year, but the kids want you to put them to bed now. How interesting. Before our doing, before yesterday's doing, before our, all of our accumulated doing, do you want to know what Jesus wants? Our devotion. That's, that's really the first thing that I think we, we struggle with when it comes to this idea that the children get something that adults have a hard time with. We think it's about our doing. And then the second issue is unearthed as this conversation goes on. Look at this. Verse 22, after hearing this, at this, the man's face fell. Do you want to know how, you know, Jesus touched something deeper in this man? See, verse 19 
Jesus lists all these commandments. And what did the young man do? Well, he declared. Yeah, I got that. I got that. I got that. But now when Jesus touches a deeper area in this man's life, his face fell. If I could just come back to us for a minute. Let me ask you, what is that thing? What's that area in in your life, in my life, that if it had to go, our face would fall? That suddenly we'd become very, very somber. Jesus says that that's actually probably the place I want to deal with most. Well, this continues. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, I I read that sentence and I went, he went away sad because he had great wealth? I, I feel like I'd go away happy because I had great wealth. And yet he went away sad because he knew that he had become attached to it, that his heart had grown fond of it. As he walked away, verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we got to be careful to not not, um, make this say something it's not saying. It's really easy to, to read this and go, oh, okay, so it's just bad to be rich. It's impossible for the rich, and that's not what Jesus is getting at. In fact, many people who associated with Jesus, many whose houses he used to gather, were wealthy people. But Jesus says, it's hard. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. And they were amazed because in that culture, similar to our culture, don't we often associate wealth with God's favor? We still do it today. And Jesus repeats this time, but he adds a little something. But Jesus said again, children. Remember who this whole episode here started with? Who was it? It's children. And so I don't know if the children are standing there or if he's now talking to his disciples. He says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why why would he say that? Because Jesus knows what we know, that children grow into what? Adults. I mean, they become adolescents. And as they become adolescents, have you noticed, if you think back to your own time, we start wanting some things, don't we? And, and then adolescents grow into teenagers. And as you become a teenager, we start wanting some things, don't we? Like that phone, that phone, that phone, that phone. It, it's, that's the common one. And then teenagers grow into adults. And as we become adults, we start wanting more what? Things. And what do you need to get things? Well, we need money, don't we? And it's so easy along the way to get distracted. But Jesus says, children, children, I'm just going to tell you up front, because children, they don't, they don't really care about the Excel bill, do they? Have you noticed that's why the lights stay for, for hours and hours and hours and hours? And they don't really care about the water bill, do they? That's why the hose stays on, because they're trying to make a pool in the backyard. Sorry, it was a tough week, so just hypothetically speaking. (laughs) Children aren't distracted by a lot of the things we're distracted by 
as adults. And Jesus says, if, if, if you don't watch, it is so subtle. And it is so slow. A distraction can creep in. And it can take the devotion of the heart. Truth be told, regardless of what, what your financial situation is in here, we're all rich with some kind of distraction. I mean, materially, there's that, but people are rich with talent. People are rich with intellect, with opportunity. And all of it can become a distraction, Jesus says. And this is really the second thing that makes it difficult for us as adults. Not only does he want our devotion before our doing, but Jesus is also highlighting that the greatest obstacle to total devotion is a very subtle distraction. And it happens so slowly. There's a story about a tribe that actually lived along this river. And on this river, they, they would find ducks constantly. They'd see ducks swimming around. And they tried and tried and tried to figure out how to capture these ducks so that they could eat. Well, finally, the tribe figured something out. They'd go upstream, and what they did is they grabbed a pumpkin. And they would just float the pumpkin down the river. Well, the ducks would see it, and they would freak out because it's a pumpkin floating down the river. We would freak out. And they would fly away. And once they came back, the tribe would go up the river, and they would float another pumpkin down the river. And the ducks would start quacking at it, but they'd swim away. Some of them fly away. Well, as soon as they came back, tribe goes back up the river, float another pumpkin down the river. This time they're not flying away, and they're not quacking at it, but they're just kind of watching it. They come back to normal. Tribe goes back up the river another time. They float a pumpkin down the river, and this time the ducks paid no attention. As soon as the tribe saw that that was the case, you know what they did? They went upstream. They hollowed out the inside of the pumpkins and put them on their heads. And they began to work their way down the river, bodies underneath. And they had duck for dinner that night. Can I, can I say a sentence that I never imagined saying in a sermon? You and I, we have a pumpkin problem. We have pumpkins floating down the river of our lives. And it is so subtle. It is so slow. But Jesus said, that's how it happens. The devotion of the heart shifts from him to the distractions, to the pumpkins coming down the river. And Jesus, if we needed any other illustration, he gives one. Verse 25. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know what happens? At, at whatever point, uh, we are hindered from following Jesus at whatever point we trust in something outside of Jesus. Jesus is saying we cannot, we cannot follow in devotion without removing the handcuffs of distraction. You simply cannot follow Jesus in devotion without removing the handcuffs of distraction. And I think it raises an important question for all of us. And it's simply this. What do I have? What am I rich in? Again, is it wealth? Is it things? Is it talent? Is it intellect? Is it opportunity? Is it social status? But the next question is equally as important. Does it increase devotion? Or does it increase distraction? 
because it's so, so subtle. Now, if you're like me, um, you probably didn't like your own answers to those questions very much. Probably didn't like it. And, and this is why you and I needed the disciples to ask what they asked next. Because this shows us what we really can do about it. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? I mean, isn't that how that feels? Well, gosh, I'm distracted by this and this, and I know my heart depends on this, and and none of it's Jesus. So who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With man, this is impossible. But that's not where we live because we think, what can I do? What can I do? With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. See, I think for some sitting in here right now, we're trying to constantly figure out what to do to gain favor with God and gain eternal life, aren't we? What can I do about my distraction problem? And Jesus would say, there's nothing you can do. It is impossible for man, but all things are possible for God. You know what that means? That means this is an act of daily getting up and saying, Heavenly Father, I don't have the willpower. I'm not the exception. This is not just a phase of life. I need you to shift my heart's devotion from the distraction over to you every single day. Every single day. I mean, can you imagine being handcuffed by that distraction? And unless you're a magician, I mean, we've seen it with magicians, but those aren't real handcuffs. You can't remove your own handcuffs, can you? You simply cannot remove your own handcuffs. He's got to do it. And so I'd ask, if that's something you've never asked before, there will be Stephen ministers, prayer, people to pray with you after service, find a staff member, turn to the person next to you. Ask him. Ask him, maybe for the first time. Take away the handcuffs of distraction. For others sitting here, for many of us, I think our issue is tied to what Peter says next. Verse 28, then Peter spoke up. And you, you can tell, it, like he can barely contain himself right now. Peter spoke up. Well, we, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything. And sometimes I wonder if Matthew sits around with Peter you know, at the gates of heaven and just reminds him of something. See, Mark was a close associate with And so Mark, a lot of what he wrote was what Peter had told him. And Matthew may have been sitting there going, oh, Peter, there was, there was actually something else you said there. I mean, you said we've left everything to follow you, but you also said something else. And, and you're leaving that out, maybe to look, make yourself look better. But if you go to the book of Matthew, do you know what Matthew says, Peter said? He says, we have left everything to follow you. And then he says, what then will there be for us? How interesting. You have this rich young man who has everything. And what was he devoted to? His riches. And you have Peter who's left everything, has nothing. And what's he in mind right now? Lord, the riches. See, this is, this is not just a rich people thing. This is an all of us thing. We can, get, we can totally separate 
from the distraction and still be handcuffed to it. Can't we? Well, Jesus, just to, just to calm Peter down a little bit, he said in verse 29, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says, I'll reward it. What you've given up, what you've left, I will reward it. But I think with the way Jesus closes this, he cuts through all that and really makes a simple statement that we've probably heard before because Jesus is concerned not so much with what we own, but with what owns us. Look what he says in verse 31. But many who are first will be last. Jesus said, look around you. At that time, they saw chief priests, they saw Pharisees, all people who looked extremely devoted and looked like they were first, first place in the race of devotion. Jesus says, those who are first, well, if they don't keep their devotion, they'll end up last. And then he flips that and he says, in the last, who are the last again? Who did people see as the last? Children. And the last shall be first. This is why Jesus said, anyone who won't receive the kingdom of God like a little child with that kind of devotion, they'll never enter it. See, the children get something that the adults have a difficult time with. And it's simply this, that we cannot follow in devotion if we're handcuffed by distraction. I'm going to invite the band up here, and I'll close with this. I, uh, I oftentimes, I get a chance to greet out in the foyer after service lets out. And I remember, um, this was a few months ago, this, this little girl was running through the foyer, and a lot of times, I just like to see, I, don't judge me for this, okay? I just like to see, um, if they're holding candy, I'll say, hey, did you get that for me? And most of them go, no, and they run off. This little girl, I said, hey, is that sucker for me? And she's holding the sucker, and she looks at the sucker, and she looks at me with these big eyes, and then she looks at the sucker, and she looks at me, and she goes, and I went, oh my goodness, I am a terrible human being. <laughs> I, I literally just took candy from a small child, but you know what it produced in me? I will give you anything. I will give you anything you want right now. Now, I can't quite live up to how much. She really deserved for that. But you and I have a heavenly father who says, will you, just, will you just give me your distractions? Will you just give me whatever distracts you so that you can follow me in devotion? Because at the end of the day, we cannot follow Jesus in devotion without removing the handcuffs of distraction. Let's pray. Heavenly father, we, uh, we come before you grateful that you of all people and, and you were maybe the only one who as you looked around, you noticed the last. Those that people had cast aside because they didn't think they could do anything, they could produce anything, you saw children. 
and you saw the devotion of children. And so as we get older, as we get more distractions that come into our lives, Heavenly Father, we know there's nothing we can do about our heart being just pulled to them. You alone are the God who can do anything about, who can do something about that. And so Lord, every single day, when we wake up, remind us, put on our hearts to give you our distractions because all we want to do is follow you in devotion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.